Um, we're gonna do some interactive learning this morning, okay? We're gonna play this game together. And so I'm gonna throw up some would you rather questions and just with the person sitting next to you um, or around you, you pick somebody and you tell them which you would rather do and why, okay? Um, if you're sitting next to somebody and you're both single, you're welcome. All right, so here we go. Here are the would you rather questions. Would you rather win the mega millions or find true love? Tell them, would you rather? Careful. Careful if you're sitting next to your true love. 1.6 billion, what's she worth, fellas? What's she worth? Jason, marriage counselor, Jason, marriage counselor. It's funny, right? Would you rather? All right, what about this one? Would you rather give up bathing for a month or give up the internet for a month? Middle schoolers have already decided give up bathing, right? Every middle school boy is like, forget about it. <laughs> hey, but be real, it'd be hard to give up the internet for a month, right? No streaming Netflix, you can't check any of your apps, you can't be on social media, like that'd be tough, but would you rather? What about this one? Would you rather give one, win $1 million or have your best friend win $1 million or $10 million? Would you rather win $1 million or have your best friend win $10 million? Be careful if you're sitting next to your best friend it might be your ex-best friend real soon. Would you rather, would you rather? All right, what about this last one? Would you rather use sandpaper as toilet paper or use hot sauce as eye drops? Would you rather? Which would you rather do? Which would you rather do? It's funny, isn't it? Um, I never thought in my life I would be like, yes, give me sandpaper for toilet paper, you know? But um, that's what it comes down to. Life is full of questions that can be really challenging at times. Um, and the reality is that winning with money, this conversation that we're in about winning with money really comes down to a would you rather type of question. And here's the would you rather question. Would you rather have your momentary desire or have what you desire most? So much of whether or not we are going to win with money is going to be answered in that question. Would you rather have your momentary desire or have what you desire most? If we wanna become a people who win with money, and let me just be real with you, who win at life, we've got to learn to manage our momentary desires and elevate what we really desire most. We've gotta have a most over momentary mindset. We've gotta be people who financially are positioned with plans of purpose so that we get to what we want most. The writer of Proverbs, the wisdom writer says it like this, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. What he's saying there is that people who are planners, people who've got the long game in mind, who've got eyes to see the end of the race, who know what they really want most, they plan and they diligently plan and it leads to profit. But then there's these other people who hastily get everything that they want. They've got to have it right now in this moment. Can't wait. I see it. So I've got to have it, right? This is the difference between people who understand compound interest. All of my nerds heart just skipped a beat, right? And people who are impulse buyers. Now, where are my impulse buyers at? Okay, you're my people, it's okay. Ain't no shame in your game, right? I am one of you, this is group therapy, all right? So I'm an impulse buyer, I just am. Ain't no shame in my game. If I see it, 
I gotta have it, okay? Um, little tip for impulse buyers. I'm just, I'm, you know, in this with you, trying to help. I just wanna give you a couple of tips, okay? Tip number one, don't buy anything after midnight, okay? Just don't do it. Tip number two, okay? If you could just agree in your soul that that ad on the side of your Facebook is not the voice of the Lord, okay? It's not. I know sometimes you're like, God, I need this. You richly provide. And if you could determine that Amazon Prime is not the angel's delivery service, okay? It would go a long way for you, right? The impulse buying, man, it, it just jacks this. I love the way that my millennial friends, um, the, their guilty impulse buy of choice is coffee, right? Any coffee lovers, okay? Any millennial coffee lovers? They, they like raise their hand extra high, right? <laughs> The way that they talk about it is so funny. They're like, I just gotta have my coffee. Like, Joey, you don't understand. I'm like, bro, listen, if you, here, here's a little tip. You want a latte of money, give up the latte, okay? That's what you need to do, leave it behind. You see what I did there? Okay, okay. So, but, but the way they talk about it, so Joey, you just don't, you don't get it. You, you just don't get it. It's just different than other coffee, okay? It was brought down from Mount Kilimanjaro on the backs of virgin monks, okay? It's just so good. And then just hand delivered to Starbucks for my enjoyment, right? And here's the thing, like about money in Starbucks, you know who's getting bucks? Them, not you, okay? Like that's the way that it goes down. But so many of us, we're just impulse buyers. This is just saturated into our culture. If we see it, we've got to have it. We believe that we should have the things now that our parents didn't have till they were 50. If something's in front of us, we just consume it. We eat it up. We go after it, right? We can't help ourselves were these impulse buyers. Like th this, this picture is painted perfectly like with uh, chips at a Mexican restaurant, hello. Right, like it doesn't matter if I just ate it a fajita the size of my face, okay? It doesn't matter. If there are chips there, your boy is eating them till he can't breathe, right? It's just what I'm gonna do. Like it's, it's in front of me and I gotta have it right now and I'm gonna keep on going and I'm gonna consume and consume and consume. But if we wanna win with money, there's a better way to live. The writer of Proverbs goes on. He says this in verse 20. He says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. He's saying that wise people, people who win with money, they set aside some now so that they have it later, whereas fools, they just gulp it down. So one of the things um, my wife Kayla and I love to do is um, go to the movie theaters uh, before we met Dave Ramsey, okay? And uh, no, I'm just kidding. We still go to the movie theaters like for our 25th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Hashtag financial peace. So, uh, so one of the things we love to do is go to the movie theaters, right? And like me, I like get popcorn and get a drink and I smother it in butter and salt. And it's like, is this manna from heaven? Yes, I think so. And um, literally I will consume that whole bucket of popcorn and that whole drink before the previews are even over, right? I would just gulp it down. And then like halfway through the movie, I start to creep on my wife and try to steal some of her popcorn. And she doesn't share because she struggles with greed, okay? <laughs> We're going through counseling, it's okay. Um, no, she's like, listen, bro, like I was wise enough to wait to know that I was gonna want some during the movie where you just gulped it all down. And like 10 minutes later, I really don't care because like my stomach is in knots and I'm about to die because I drink that much soda. But, but this is the way that it goes, right? Many of us, we don't live wise and store up things for later. We've gotta have it right now. My favorite way that the writer of Proverbs talks about it is in Proverbs 6. In Proverbs 6, verse 6, he says, I love it because of how kindly he speaks to us. Go to the ant, you sluggard. You're all slugs. Welcome to church. 
Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. It's saying, hey, you slugs, listen, pay attention, watch the ant. The ant is wise. The ant in summer gathers up food for winter. In a harvest, it gathers up food for times of famine. You're a slug. You just sit there and you consume and consume and eat everything in front of you until you're so fat, so big, so immobile that you die in a pool of bacon, grease, and Twinkies, right? America, <laughs> that's the way that it happens, right? It's this it's this thing that we do where we just get caught in this pattern of consuming and consuming and consuming and never storing up a little bit more for later. The truth is, is that, man, it's just, it's wise to save money, right? It is wise to save money, but many of us don't. We just consume and consume and consume and consume, much like the slug. The statistics say that we're the slugs. Check out the statistics, 55 to 60% of Americans spend more money than they make. 55 to 60% of Americans spend more money than they make. They consume it all. Now, it gets crazier when you look at full-time workers. 78% of full-time workers spend more money than they make. So 55 to 60%, that's, that's including people who are like retired, people who got part-time jobs, really ain't even got money to spend. But when you, when you talk about people who work full-time, 78% of them spend everything that they make or more, which has led that this life of consuming has led to $38,000 of non-mortgage debt for the average American, $38,000. So not only have we not saved up for the things that we need because we consumed it all, we spent more than we had and now have, now we owe $38,000 that we do not have. But it gets even worse. 57% have less than $1,000 in their savings account. 57%. Those 57% of people say that they could not cover a $500 emergency. They couldn't do it. It's crazy. It's like, is anybody stressed? I'm a little stressed. Like just thinking about that picture because we consume and consume and consume and eat up and eat up and eat up and don't set anything aside, consume everything in front of us and do not save. Here's, here's just the truth. The reality of the Bible is that saving money is wise. It's just wise. It's not rocking science. I'm not some economist up here. I'm not some financial genius. I'm not a professor. I'm just, I'm just practical biblical wisdom. Saving money is wise. Setting aside some now for expenses that you know are going to come later is just a wise way to live. In uh, Genesis 41, there's this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And it's the story of a guy named Joseph. And Joseph um, is brought in by the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh over all of Egypt at the time, because the Pharaoh is having these dreams that are keeping him up all night. Like he's waking up cold sweats, panicked, terrified. Where's my mommy? And so he brings Joseph in to try to interpret this dream. And here's the way that the dream goes is there are these seven cows who are like decrepit and disgusting and broke down and nobody wants like Chick-fil-A wouldn't even use them as advertising. And then there are, these, there are these seven cows that are like really healthy, that are really, you know, gorgeous, that look like, you know, New Jersey milk cows. And there's seven of them. And so he's like, I don't understand like what's going on. And Joseph interprets the dream. He goes, hey, this dream is a prophecy of what's to come from God. And God says that you're gonna have seven years, the seven healthy cows, the seven Jersey cows, those represent seven years of plenty. 
Seven years of prosperity. Seven years that the land will produce more crops than you could imagine. There's going to be so much that you're not going to be able to contain it. And then there are going to be seven years of famine. That's what the seven ghetto cows represent. Those cows represent seven years of famine. Seven years where the rains will cease, where the crops will dry up, and there will not be enough food. People will starve. It will be bad. And so what you need to do, Pharaoh, is you need to set up a system where we save some in the prosperity years so that we're set for the years of famine. And so sure enough, the Pharaoh institutes Joseph to be over all of the affairs of Egypt and he builds these storehouses and he sets aside one fifth, 20% of everything in the years of prosperity to be able to provide for the years of famine. And, and crazily enough, God somehow takes that 20% and multiplies it and it is more than enough during the famine. It's just, it's wisdom. It's wisdom plus God, and it's, it's, it's the way that we should live. It's the way that we should operate. Now, here's the reality, is none of us should need a dream like the Pharaoh to know that there are going to be economic ups and downs. That shouldn't blow any of our minds. That's just common sense. Coincidentally enough, tomorrow, literally Monday, marks the 89-year anniversary of the Great Depression starting. 89 years ago tomorrow, we went through the worst economic downturn, the worst years of famine that our country has ever seen. And if you interact with somebody who went through that time, they know the value of saving versus spending, right? Do you know people who went through what people who went through the Great Depression or had family who went through the Great Depression are called? Misers or hoarders, right? Like they keep it all. They don't spend anything. They're just like, ah, because they know that whatever I want in this moment is not worth what I know I'm gonna need later on. So I've got a friend and his grandmother, she grew up in this time period during the Great Depression. And she literally in her house, in her freezer has stacks of money in her freezer. She calls it her cold, hard cash, they say that when she dies, it is a race over to her house. It is finders keepers and they're bringing shovels. They're looking for Folgers jars, okay? If you're over 40, you get that joke. But, but that's what they're doing. It's like people from the Great Depression understand that there are gonna be these economic ups and downs and you need to plan today in years of prosperity for years of famine. Many of us were affected by 2008. The 2008 recession took many of our businesses out. It collapsed our 401ks. It ruined all of our investments and it bankrupted many of our futures. And so you, you're still recovering from that today. You should know if you watch any economics at all, if you spend any time paying attention to any economic thought, somebody is going to very quickly talk about when's the next one coming? How quick till the bottom falls out? When's it gonna turn? Stock market's down 10%. Like you don't need a dream from a Pharaoh to know that there are going to be times where, yeah, money's good and times where money's not. You shouldn't need a dream from Pharaoh to know that your car's gonna break down. Tires wear out, who knew? You shouldn't need a dream from Pharaoh to know that your kids are gonna grow up. That they're gonna grow taller and grow out of their clothes and you're either gonna have to spend money to buy them new clothes or to get counseling because they look awkward at school. Right, I, this isn't rocket science. This is just wisdom. We set aside some money now for expenses that we know that we're going to have later on. You know eventually you're gonna need another roof. You know that taxes are gonna come due. You know there's gonna be a time where you're not as fit to work, where you're not as marketable, 
And so you're gonna need money set aside for the later years of your life. This is just wisdom. This is just common sense. You know there's gonna be a time where your kids go to college, where your kids want a car. This, these are expenses that we know that are coming and it's just good wisdom to set aside some money now to lay aside what maybe we want in the moment to be able to say yes to the things that we want most. Because I promise you, I get it. Tesla looks good now, don't it? It looks great now. I promise not having to sell your house later is better. That's what you actually want most. Like, I get it. I get it. Going to Disney with your kids, it looks great now in this moment. Uh, you spend all this money and drag them down there, stand in line so they could be miserable. I get it. It's worth it. But do you know what you want most? You want them to eat. That's what you want. You want to make sure that you can still pay for their soccer practice. That's what you want. You don't want to be able, you don't want to have your future bankrupted by these momentary decisions and then get down to what you actually want most and not be able to afford it. We've got to save money. We've got to set it aside now for what we ultimately want most in the future. Um, have you ever seen, there's a bumper sticker out there on cars sometimes, and it says, um, it, it'll usually be like on the back of an RV or like a really nice sports car or like maybe a motorcycle. And it says, I'm spending my kids inheritance. Anybody ever seen that bumper sticker? Yeah, it makes a great, hilarious bumper sticker, but the Bible says that's not what a good man does. A good man doesn't just spend their kid's inheritance. The Bible actually says this in Proverbs. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man says no to things that he might want in the moment to be able to leave the legacy that he wants most to his kid's kids. This is the way that we should operate. It's just wisdom to save money. And this really comes down to one word this morning, church. Saving money is about one word. And that one word is freedom. It's about freedom. It's about you being able to experience financial freedom. Galatians chapter five, verse one says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. How many of you guys know that God wants to set you free? Like God wants to set you free in every area of your life. I want you to be free. We as a church so desperately want you to be free. We believe that you can be free. God wants you to be free from sin. He wants you to be free from anxiety that cripples you. He wants to be, you to be free from stress, free from addiction, free from your past, free from the lies that echo over and over and over again in your head and play like they're on repeat. He wants you to be free from all of that. And he knows that so much of that freedom starts with freedom from finances. When you get financially free, it enables you to live a free life, a life that's not chained, a life that's not bankrupt, a life that's not held hostage. The, um, the writer of Proverbs contrasts this verse um, in chapter 22 when he says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave of the lender. So we save money now for expenses that we know are gonna come in the future so that then we don't have to go into debt to pay for those expenses and hijack, bankrupt, take hostage, put in prison our future. And you see many people, they don't save money now for expenses they know that are gonna come later and then they have to put them on a credit card and then they're enslaved to that credit card. Many people don't save for the future that they want. They just gobble it all up in the moment and then they're held hostage to never step into that future that they actually desire, right? So some of you hate your jobs. You hate it. 
You're miserable. Every morning you wake up and you're like getting dressed and you're like, I look like a clown in this suit and I wanna kick myself in the face, right? You hate it. You drive to work the whole time and you're like, just angry, right? Because you don't like your job and you go to that job and then you come home and you're angry and you're mean and you're a bear to be around because you hate your job, but you can't leave your job because you make so much money and you've overextended yourself so far. Your mortgage is so big, your car payment is so high that you can't leave it. You just gotta keep on staying chained to it, enslaved to it, not operating in freedom, operating in bondage. Like some of you guys, like there's probably this passion in you, this call that you feel like God has placed on your life, this dream, this God-sized dream that is in you, that's, that's crying out, that you wanna do, that would make you come alive, that would make you feel like your life mattered and that it was about more than just the mundane and the motions but you can't step into it because you've got these big bills, you've got that car payment, you've got that credit card debt, you haven't attacked those student loans. There's a guy who goes to our church, his um, Name's Jason Howard, and um, he's on staff here. He, just to be real, he's like the smartest guy on our staff in a landslide. Um, I can tell you like stuff about the Bible and sports, but after that, I'm kind of at a loss. Jason is a genius, right? He went to Wake Forest, and that's where he got his undergraduate degree. A very awesome school, hard school to get into. Then he went to Georgia Tech, got his master's degree, okay? Was killing it in the marketing industry, working for Kodak and other companies. And then he felt this call that God put on his life to go into ministry. And so literally he left it all, got trained, came into ministry, came on staff at our church. He's in ministry, killing it, smartest guy here. And he feels God placed this desire on him where he's like, ministry, uh, that's child's play. I wanna do smart version of ministry. I'm gonna become a counselor, okay? So at 39, 40 years old, he leaves it all, goes back to school again to pursue the call that God has placed on his life to counsel people, to fight for marriages, to rescue people from addiction. And I bet as you hear that, there's some of you who goes, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could have a change. I wish I could pivot. I wish my career could go in a different direction. I wish I had the freedom to not be bogged down by the salary, but I could just do what God called me to do with my life. And Jason, in between services, he told me the only reason that they were able to make all of those moves was actually because they went through Financial Peace University. They got themselves in a place where they were financially healthy so that they could even hear what God was saying to them. And I bet that's the case for many of you. We want freedom for you. This isn't about getting more money in your hands. This is about equipping you to step into God's plan, about you being able to say, yes, yes, God, I will go where you send me, do what you tell me, I will be faithful. Now, this is the point of the message where we've gotta talk about the tension of the Bible. Okay, because there's such a tension in the Bible as it pertains to money. We just spent all this time talking about savings and now we gotta talk about this tension. So in the Bible, there's like 2,300 verses that deal with money, 2,300, that's a lot. 25% of all that Jesus talked about dealt with money, possessions, or wealth. He talked about it over and over and over again. And in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, honestly, he kind of blows up what the writer of Proverbs says. This is what he says, Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so we just spent 20 minutes talking about the wisdom and the value of saving. 
of setting aside some now for what you want later, of leaving behind the momentary things to be able to receive what we want most. We just spent 20 minutes talking about the practicality, the wisdom of setting some aside in the prosperous years for the years of famine, about being able to set some aside for future expenses and so that we don't have to go into debt. Set some aside, store up, build store, all this language. And then here comes Jesus goes, ah, uh-uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Don't set aside treasures for yourself. Don't do it. Like, like how do we make sense of Jesus' words here? How do we reconcile bank accounts, savings accounts, IRAs and investment accounts and retirement accounts with Jesus' command to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth? You see, oftentimes the truth of the Bible, it exists in tension. It is not this or that, but it is this pull that is causing us to find in the middle where God is after our hearts, where God is after our hearts. You see, what Jesus is trying to really get at here is he's trying to ask you the question is, have you come to a point where you've started to look for your security in your own ability? Have you started to rely on cash and money and houses and things and stuff to provide for your soul what only the Savior can? Because if so, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And he speaks to the practical wisdom of that. He says, don't do it. Somebody's just gonna steal all that stuff. Invest, spend, save, give in a way that has impact on eternity. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do it for yourself, treasures on earth. He's trying to make sure that you stay healthy by not focusing on yourself. It's this question of where is your security found? He, he continues in Matthew 6, uh, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so I started out by telling you that this is a conversation about managing the momentary and elevating what we want most. And what Jesus is doing is he's making sure that what you want most isn't momentary. Did you catch that? He's making sure that what you want most, desire most, seek most, isn't momentary, but it's eternal. Because if you make money your master, if you make stuff your savior, it's gonna bankrupt your soul. When you allow money to buy your heart, you can guarantee that your life is gonna go broke. And so he's saying, be careful, pay attention. Yeah, be wise and save, but don't, don't find your security in that stuff. There's a story in the book of Luke. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. Um, and only two times in Jesus's ministry does he call somebody a fool. That's it, only two times. And one of the times is in this story. Luke, um, this is what it says. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man, produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. The scripture continues. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, for himself, for himself, and is not rich 
toward God. And so there's this guy, this farmer, and he's killing it. Agriculture industry is booming, going bananas. Get it? Food, agriculture, bananas. Okay. So it's going through the roof. He's killing it. Very financially, just dominating. And it's so good. He's already got a barn. It's filled up. And he goes, well, what should I do? I guess I'll just build, I'll tear this barn down and build bigger ones. So this guy already has a wise savings account. He's already faithfully positioned for the things in the future so that he doesn't have to be held hostage. But it's not enough. It's not enough. And so he's got to get more. And why does he have to get more? So that he can sit back, relax, and enjoy himself. Doesn't it sound like the American dream? Just want to make a ton of money, hoard a ton of cash, set a lot of it aside so that I could sit back, play a ton of golf on my butt, do nothing, right? So that I could be on a cruise ship cruising around the world. Isn't it the American dream? Isn't it what we all begin to live for? And Jesus says that the person who lives like that is a fool. The person who lives like that is a fool. It's not the way that any of us should live because our soul will be required of us. We will have to give an account for the way that we've spent our money. And so we've got to ask ourselves the questions, how much is enough? Ask yourself honestly, like how much is enough? And what is the line between faithfully saving and just being selfish? What is the line between like being a good steward, being a good manager and hoarding? Like what is the divide? Where does it become um, beyond just like, let me be smart and let me just consume. Let me just make this about me. Let me just be real with you this morning, church. None of us ever get to a point in our lives where, we're, where we get to make it about us. There's never a moment in your life where it becomes all about you, never. Like you getting to retirement, that's not about your relaxation and enjoyment. That's not what it should be about at least. Saving money faithfully towards retirement should be about creating margin to move. Money saved is margin to move. Saving money up for a time in the future gives you the margin to be able to say yes to the freedom that God has put in each and every one of us. It gives us margin to move. So I've got money to be able to leave a wake of generosity in my, it, behind me for the generation of Jesus followers that are coming up next. It's not just so that I can get more and consume more and have more. It's actually about so that I can be postured to give more. And you've got to ask yourself these questions like how much is enough and where does it just become ridiculous and obnoxious and first world and momentary? When am I starting to be fixated on earth and where have my eyes lost sight of heaven? And I can't answer these questions for you. And to be quite frank, the Bible doesn't answer these questions for you. These questions are meant to drive you to your knees, to drive you to an honest conversation with your spouse or friend or significant other or people that you're in community with. It's meant to drive you to go, okay, Jesus, like, let me be real. Let me really assess the situation and where have I maybe drifted beyond just why spending into selfishness. Like this is going to sound lame to some of you and that's fine, but just think about it later today. A, a good indicator, maybe possibly a good litmus test of whether or not it's selfishness is do you pray more or check your bank account more? That's a great indicator of whether or not, of where you're looking to find your security and who you're looking to provide your foundation. We got to ask ourselves these questions. Like I'll, I'll be real. Like I have to ask myself these questions all the time. 
like this week preparing for this message and in the midst of the mega millions lottery, um, my wife and I, we were caught up having this conversation. Like just, it was, it dominated our talk this week of wondering what if, like what if you won the mega millions? What would you do and how would you spend it? And it provoked us to have to have this conversation of girl, like how much is enough? Like how much is enough? And you see, I'm, I'm so prone to materialism. Like I am, like I have this drift in me towards just wanting nice things, towards having stuff. I grew up broke. I grew up with a mom who did all that she could, worked so hard, but she waited tables and we just didn't have a lot. I've said it before. Like we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick other people's fingers, okay? That's where we came from. And so for me, like I grew up with ambition and with drive and I was gonna be successful and I was gonna provide a life for my family that was much different than the one that I grew up with. And so there's this thing in me at times where this, that good thing, that good ambition, that good drive can become a God thing. And all of a sudden I go on this just endless like vampire quest for more plastic toys, for more toys and trinkets. And if I am not careful, I can begin to believe that the toys and the trinkets are going to satisfy my soul and they're not. And each of us need to have our eyes open to the reality that it's never going to be enough. It's not. And so what Kayla and I, what my wife, what we have to do is like, we have to build in discipline because I know my desire will hijack me. I know my heart. I know how evil it is. I know how prone I am to wander. I know how prone I am to selfishness. And so we just set it up. There's the first percentage of our income. And this percent, it just goes to God. It goes to the church, comes out of our paycheck. It doesn't matter if I get a raise. It doesn't matter if I make more money. It doesn't doesn't matter. It just goes to God. And then after that, there's a percentage that goes to savings, that goes to positioning ourselves to be able to pay for expenses we know are coming in the future so that we can walk in freedom, so that we don't have to be taken that we don't have to be taken held hostage by debt. And then after that, we just live on the rest. We live on the rest. And it doesn't matter if I make more or less, those percentages don't change. They stay fixated because it creates this discipline and it creates this freedom. And, and, and now where we're at is where we're at a point where like this week, we're literally like, how much is enough? Like, what is the point where like, yeah, that's enough. Like that we would get to where we would get to where we'd keep the percentages, you know, this first percent would go to the church and then this percent would go to savings. And then once we got to this number, just everything else, we'd give it away. Everything else, every dime. It, it wouldn't change the fact that we gave, we'd still do all of that. But then everything above this would just get given away. Like we just picked a number because we know that if we don't pick a number now, we'll get to that number and we'll go, you know how much is enough? It's a little bit more just a little bit more. And all of the sudden, momentary things will hijack what I want most. And what I want most is to leave this wake of generosity in my path for the next generation of Jesus followers to come up behind me. What I wanna invest in is not myself, but I wanna invest in stuff for others, things for others, because that gets me a reward in heaven. I wanna invest in eternal things gospel things, taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the world. I want to invest in planting churches and places that churches don't exist. I want to invest in expanding the kingdom of God to the ends of the world. I want to invest in taking the life-giving, freedom-filled message of Jesus 
to people who are hurting and lost and broken and desperate and all alone. I want, I want to invest in things that create communities of faith where people find purpose and potential and are unleashed to walk in the calling that God has placed on their life. That's what I want most. I want it more than all of these momentary things. And you know the beauty? The beauty of setting up that discipline so you're not hijacked by your desire is that it actually then gives you freedom to enjoy the things that you spend, right? Like, have you ever spent money and felt guilty for it? I know I have, right? You ever like been on a really nice vacation and you're like there at the beach and you're loving it and you're like sipping your mojito and you're in your hotel room and then all of a sudden this commercial comes on and it's like these Ethiopian kids holding dogs with Sarah McLaughlin in the arms of an angel. You know, you've experienced it and you're like eating this 29 ounce porterhouse steak bone in $300 bottle of wine and you're like, I'm gonna go put this in the toilet, right? You just feel guilty about it. You shouldn't feel guilty about spending money. You should just give to God first, save second and live on the rest. And, and when you've set disciplines in your life, parameters in your life to guard your heart, all of a sudden you get to actually enjoy the things you spend money on. It's a really free place to live. Now, here's what I don't want you to believe is I don't want you to believe that all of you need to go into ministry and that making money is a bad thing, that going after more is a bad thing, that having ambition is a bad thing, having drives a bad thing. That's absolutely not the case. We need people who have drive and who have ambition and who want to make money. We need that to fund the church of the future. As our government changes and in the near future, the church may lose their nonprofit status. And if that's the case, the way that we provide and the way that we fund ministry would have to look drastically different. Just being real, people would have to give a lot more money. And so we need people who are driven that way. Let me share with you a story about that. There's, have any of you guys ever heard of Quaker Oats cereal? Quaker Oats cereal. Yeah, almost all of you guys. But I would venture to guess that almost none of you have heard of the man behind Quaker Oats cereal, which is Henry Parsons Kroll. Henry Parsons Kroll. He was born in 1855 and Henry Parsons Kroll was a businessman. And right as the Quaker Oats mill factory was about to go under, he bought it and he reinvented it. And he became one of the pioneers of innovation in the marketing and in the cereal industry. Uh, Henry Kroll was the first person to pioneer those personal pack, trial packs of cereal. You ever had one of those before? The, the, the tiny ones that just give you a taste? He's the first one to do that. Henry Kroll was the first person to put toys in cereal boxes. Anybody ever got a toy in a cereal box before? Where you reached your grubby hands down in there to the food that you were going to eat later on? Very sanitary. And pulled it out. He was the first person to do that. He provoked people buying cereals to buy a toy. He's a brilliant marketer. And by the year 1920, Henry Kroll, his net worth had grown to $120 million, equivalent to a billion with a B in today's dollars. Henry Kroll, at the beginning of his life, the beginning of his walk with Jesus, he was a Christian businessman in the true sense of the word, determined he was gonna give away 70% of what he made. 70%. He said, I will live on less. I will say no to my momentary desires because what I want most is to sow in, invest in the kingdom of God to see it become this unstoppable force for good in the world. Most of Henry Kroll's investments, that 70%, went into a little small university in Chicago, Illinois called Moody Bible Institute of which I attended college. 
my life is impacted because of somebody's generosity and willingness to say no to what they wanted in the moment, to say yes to what they want most. And yours is too. Every week up here, yours is too. Because somebody was willing to say no now so that the kingdom could expand to the ends of the world. And this is how we should live, church. This is an opportunity that all of us have to say no to momentary desires and to elevate what we want most, which is Jesus. You know the whole story of our faith. It's a story of a transaction. It's a story of indebtedness. You and I, we were indebted to God. We were indebted because of our sin, indebted because of our rebellion, indebted because of our shame. We owed God because we stole from him. We stole his glory, stole his name. We were indebted but he paid the price. In Colossians chapter two, it says that he being Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus paid the price, paid our debt so that we could walk in freedom and no longer be held hostage by debt and momentary desires. It's available for you. It's available for me. It's available for our church. Let's pray. Jesus, I love you. Grateful for your word. I just pray for powerful freedom for each and every believer in this space, in this place, this morning. God, I pray that we would just long for more of you, that you would be what we want most, that our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our money would be set on eternity. God, don't let us gobble it all up. Don't let us make unwise decisions. Don't let us live for here today. That's only gonna vanish. It's only gonna get stolen or eaten up by some weird moth, but let us live for an inheritance that can't be touched, for an inheritance that will absolutely return. Let us live for heaven. I love you, Jesus. In your beautiful name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.